I'm out of movies. <laughs> I'm Rachel Morgan. I'm the creative director for Sidewalk F- or was until I did that. For the <laughs> Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. And you are? I'm Corey Kraft. Are there sirens I hear in the distance yes, coming to take you to, to jail? Get. I'm especially annoying today. Wow. Let's talk about movies and, All right. and get out of this. Let's do it. What's this shit? It's a very subtle approach today. Yeah, that was. That was restrained. In the intro, I came in a little strong, so I thought, let me treat you. Let me treat you. <laughs> um, so here's what's going on. I'm just jumping into this film. There's a dude on a pier. And okay. I'm like, are we in heaven? Because that's what it looks like. It's like very like, I'm like, is this, what world are we in, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I kind of already know what it is. Kind of, but there there are actually a weird number of options Oh, wow. This. Okay. Well, a man, I'm just going to say a man appears suddenly. Okay. And says, oh, he's nowhere to find you. Okay. And then the other dude who's also, you know, kind of has a similar voice is like, come on, I'll buy you breakfast. Uh-huh. And then there's a hard cut to an empty beer being slammed on on the bar, where where there's then the editor has left plenty of time for us to laugh about the fact that they're drinking beer for breakfast. Isn't it funny? Um, and then it's a. Do you want me to the the other gentleman is drinking the beer still, and the and the dude who slammed the beer down goes, "Do you want me to put have them put that in a sippy cup for you?" Huh. Sippy cup joke. Yeah, sippy cup joke in the bar. I can't believe you don't know what this is yet. And then there's a, this is where you're going to get it. Okay. There's a comment about the one, the one dude says something about, makes a comment about being able to breathe underwater. And then there's some talk about a stealth submarine and high tech pirates. And uh, Okay. This is, is Aquaman. It is Aquaman. You got it. I uh, can't believe it took you that long to get it, but you got it. Well, I, I, I was going through a bunch of different options there, but yes, that is Aquaman starring Jason Momoa as Aquaman and Tamura Morrison, who's playing his dad there, I guess. Um, your wife, Nicole Kidman, is in this movie as Aquaman's mom, um, and this movie uh, rules. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Um, lots of bright underwater antics. Good is an interesting word, it, But it's it an, an interesting word. word to use. Here. So there is – have you seen this from start to finish, Aquaman? Hell no. Okay, well, you know, Nicole Kidman's in it, so just thought I'd ask. I, I don't want to jump to any conclusions here. I'm going to fast forward to those parts. Um, okay. Uh, first of all, this movie rules. You should watch it. Second of all, there's a moment where Aquaman and Patrick Wilson, who plays the bad guy, are facing off underwater in this underwater gladiatorial arena. Yeah. Um, and you know how oftentimes, you know, there are like uh, drummers who like – have this like fast beat or whatever to yeah. to to set the mood for sure. gladiatorial gladiatorial combat. Um, in Aquaman, it is an octopus who is the drummer, so he's got all eight of those tentacles playing the drums. Uh, did we, and did we just get canceled? Uh, no, can you cancel because a podcast? the the aqua the <laughs> the octopus drummer oh, is no. uh, probably. I'd say probably close to the high point of anything that happened during the Trump administration. Well, I'm not going to argue with that point. Um, so anyway, Aquaman, very good. Uh, very good movie. Uh, he's a friend to fish. And, um, oh, Julie Andrews has a vocal cameo as a giant sea monster. There are wow. crab people. There are scary monsters from the Mariana Trench. Um, what's not to love? I mean, it's just a know. really great movie. The only thing I know is that, you know, when this film was out uh-huh. in theaters, I was in New Orleans and I went to um, Pinkberry. And they had an Aquaman flavored froyo. Was it good? 
it was really good. Yeah. And uh, that's what I have to say about Aquaman. So, so just like the yogurt, the movie <laughs> is surprisingly good. Have this one on 4K Blu-ray. Mwah, those colors pop. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, that was what's the shit. And now, a look at what we're watching this week. So, Rachel, what have you been watching lately? Well, this is not a new film. This is a film I, I've probably talked about quite a bit. But I, I very recently, a friend of mine is is ha, has trouble watching films. Okay, she's like, she's telling me she she rarely makes it all the way through a film. They tend to make you know, she, in a completely different industry than us, and and doesn't really doesn't really do films. And I, I'm trying my best to try to to get her to to make her way through an entire film. And um, and in doing so, I thought, well, you know, one good way to get started is let's watch Uncut Gems. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I rewatched Uncut Gems, and man, oh man, is it a great fucking movie yes, from beginning it is. to end. I love this thing, and I, we've talked about it a lot. I don't need to. I don't need to. You know, to to continue to go down this road, but I just thought you would appreciate the fact that um, you know, the the film that I that I presented was that. What are you watching? <laughs> uh, I do appreciate that. Um, what I have been, I haven't been watching a ton of movies lately um, for work stuff. I've been reading a lot. Uh, and then we got into The Crown on yeah. Netflix, yeah. finally. Um, I, that's where I'm at, at in lockdown. It's just like, well, why don't we watch The Crown? And so we're watching The Crown. And we're about halfway through season two of The Crown. Uh, which I I do like, um, but we did watch the new Disney Animation Studios movie Raya and the Last yeah, Dragon. Yeah. We watched that on Friday, um, and um, you know Disney, the the animation studio has been in a bit of a renaissance in the past decade or so um, with the astronomical success of, of Frozen and. Uh, Moana and Zootopia and Wreck-It Ralph and a lot of other movies that have caught on, I, I think, pretty pretty big with uh, the movie going public. I'm starting to wonder if that wave, that, that renaissance has crested and they're kind of on a downswing again. Last year, or year before last now, um, they released Frozen 2, um, which I was kind of middling on. Um, and I'm kind of middling, but a little more positive on Raya and the Last Dragon, this new film. Um, first of all, uh, I think the reason I'm I'm leaning more positive is because Disney, once again, I mean, the animation in this thing, if, if that is something that you are or you have an affinity for, the animation in this thing is just gorgeous. I mean, there's no way around it. Uh, they are Disney. They have all of the resources in the world of, available to them to produce uh, excellent-looking movies. But at the very least, you know, we have to give them credit for produ- you know pushing the envelope and really pushing the technology forth to create animation that looks – you know, more and more uh, beautiful, you know, with every progressive movie. Um, say what you will about the quality of the the, the plot, um, oh, which which I mean, is... Why do you even need that? <laughs> yeah, which Who is, needs a plot? Uh, you know, it's, it's a standard issue sort of fantasy um, 
plot that involves traversing this wonderfully realized landscape to collect fragments of a what-have-you to bring back the what-have-yous to destroy the evil what-have-yous. Um, and so, like, you can you can insert any number. That's like Mad Libs, right? That's like fantasy movie Mad Libs. Right. Um, and that's – that. Play, watching Raya and the Last Dragon feels a bit like playing that. Um, Ugh. But you've gone to the dark side. <laughs> you've gone to the dark side. Uh, Fuck Disney. Well, okay, that's one opinion. Um, but the other opinion is don't do that because they, <laughs> they do make you know good movies. Oh. Um, and, and I think Ryan and the Last Dragon is a good movie ultimately uh, on the strength of its technological uh, merits. Um, the plot again kind of shaky. It has its ups and downs. The ending is strong enough, though, to ultimately bump me into more positive territory uh, with this one. Um, and and I have to say, you know, look, just put colors and movement on a screen in front of me, and I'll appreciate it to one degree or another. Uh, that's the magic of the <coughs> movies, baby. Um, so what's what's not to like there? Uh, I'm so sorry, y'all. Rachel genuinely choking on my opinion. <laughs> Somebody's killing me. <laughs> Dizzy has their hands around my throat. I seriously like, <clears throat> I'm choking. I feel like I said, fuck Disney, and they came and got me. <laughs> oh, my God. They may have. Oh, no, never again. I won't say it again. Okay. I sorry, have nothing so but sorry. respect for our overlords. As soon as I said it, my throat started closing up. I'm so scared. Okay, I'm sorry. That Can was you the fit icy... an edit in there? I tried to like hold off until you could like... Okay. That was the icy hand of Walt Disney's ghost himself. It really was. It came up from the grave. It's so scary. Okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, we can pick up there. So I guess you're not going to watch Ryan and the Last Dragon. (laughs) No, Um, hell no, I'm not going to watch it. But if anybody's uh, into uh, modern animation, it's worth a a look, I'd say. You know, um, I I will add one thing I've watched, which is The World to Come. Which we talked about, we fought about. Uh-huh. But I would really just rather tell you about my experience seeing it. Okay. Which was driving into the parking lot of the AMC. And if you're in the Birmingham area, you may know this way down 280. There's oh, the Lee Branch. Lee Branch AMC. And I was like, is this place open? <laughs> um, all the lights in the parking lot are out. There's not a single light lighting up the walkway. I'm like feeling, you know, I'm being a little dramatic. But I mean, it was dark <laughs> as a dragon's throat. And we get into the cinema and they just haven't turned on half the lights. And they've got, like, bags over seats. I mean, it is, oof, that AMC. What's going to happen, Corey? What's going to happen? Well, we're going to turn that corner and have a summer movie season here in May, right? I mean, uh, that AMC, I don't know. It is dark, dark days. And, I mean, pretty much anything you try to order on the menu, they're like, yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, AMC. Uh, Nachos? No, no, not here. It's unbelievable, though. And that part, you know, again, if you don't know Birmingham, that part of town is just a suburb. It's just subdivision after subdivision. How are people not? I mean, there was just nobody in the whole damn place. I get that it's a pandemic. I get all that. But at the same time, nobody gave them that note at the at the huge you know shopping center I passed on my way there. So, um, yeah, y'all, um, AMC, could you turn on some lights, please? And that is uh, that is uh, that was actually more experiential and interesting than my experience with the world to come. Okay, well that's what we've been watching, everybody. Hey, so um, you know, Corey, we usually do this pick a city thing. It's one of our newer segments of the podcast, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a break this time around. Whew, okay, because uh, I wanted to take that time instead to talk a little bit about 
the St. Louis film. So the last time that we met, right, wasn't it? Meet Me in St. Louis was your pick. Yeah, and then I mentioned National Lampoon's Vacation, yes. which in- goes through there. Yeah, and indeed they do. So I, I've I grabbed a couple of titles of some some stuff that was shot in St. Louis. Okay. And interestingly, Meet Me in St. Louis, of course, was not shot in St. Louis, but was shot on a back lot, a Warner Brothers back lot in California. So um, just wanted to point that out. But also, yes, National Lampoon's Vacation. Some some was shot there up in the air. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. Some scenes from Escape from New York. Really? Isn't that it was listed? Huh. Um. So yeah, and uh, you know. Uh, the Pruitt Igo, the, the Pruitt Igo myth, which is not where you would normally go straight to, but um, I did want to point it out. <laughs> well, thank. Yeah, no, I would not have. I would not have uh, gone with that title. But it would be cooler if you had. It would have been. Anyway, um, we'll we'll get to pick a city next time, and you can pick a new city. But I I wanted to highlight a few interesting titles from Pruitt Igo myth. What up? And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Today I'm going to talk about one of the beloved films of the 90s, Point Break. The name Point Break actually is just one of several titles attached to this film. At the start of production, it was called Johnny Utah, after the main character played by Keanu Reeves, until the producers began to take note of Patrick Swayze's strong performance as Bodhi and decided to focus on both characters, which resulted in the name Riders on the Storm after the Doors song. Ultimately, the producers realized that the song's lyrics had nothing to do with surfing, and the title was finally changed to Point Break. Co-producer Rick King first came up with the idea for the movie while lounging on the beach watching surfers. He had been working on an article about Los Angeles being the robbery capital of America, and dreamed up a movie about an FBI agent infiltrating a surf gang that robs banks to fuel their fun. King recruited aspiring screenwriter W. Peter Illiff to write the script for $6,000. It wasn't enough money to allow Illiff to quit his day job, so he waited tables during the day before going home to write the script for Point Break at night. Director James Cameron, who was married to Point Break director Catherine Bigelow at the time, later said that Catherine was unhappy with the shooting script, so he stepped in and wrote a final, uncredited draft that juiced up the action with his formula of climax after climax. When his name wasn't included in the film's credits, he filed a complaint to the Writers Guild. Patrick Swayze had auditioned for the part of Johnny Utah before eventually landing the role of Bodie. For the role of football hero-turned-FBI agent Johnny Utah, the studio was pushing for Johnny Depp, but Bigelow held out for Keanu Reeves. At that time, Reeves was mostly known for his Bill and Ted movies and a few arthouse films, and producers couldn't envision him as an action hero. Two months before filming, Reeves, Swayze, and actress Lori Petty, cast as Reeves' love interest, trained with professional surfer Dennis Jarvis in Hawaii. Jarvis remembers Patrick said he'd been on a board a couple times and that his character Bodhi was a lot like him, because they both shared that wild man edge. Keanu had not surfed before, and Lori had never been in the ocean. For many of the surfing scenes, Swayze refused to use a stunt double, as he'd never used one for fight scenes or car chases. He would go on to crack four ribs during a hard fall into the surf. Swayze, however, didn't need any training for his skydiving scenes. He and his brother Don were avid skydivers. 
so much so that he was told to stop skydiving for insurance purposes once production began. Producers coaxed him into the agreement with the promise of letting the star actually skydive on screen. The uncut shot of Bodie yelling, Adios, amigo, and falling from the plane features Swayze actually making a jump. He would get to make 55 jumps in all for the film. According to co-star Gary Busey, Swayze was so nuts about skydiving, he badgered Busey to try it until Busey gave in and agreed to go skydiving with him after filming ended. Catherine Bigelow wanted the actors to do their own fights on screen without stuntmen. So stunt coordinator Glenn R. Wilder held fight training sessions for the cast on weekends. The actor cast as Tone, Anthony Kiedis, who would soon become famous with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, chose not to attend these sessions. So Bigelow changed his scenes so that Kiedis gets knocked out by the first punch thrown at him. The actors were not the only people asked to perform stunts. The cameraman got in on the action as well. Bigelow wanted to bring the audience along for the elaborate foot chase scenes. To capture the action, they were shot with a stripped-down, handheld, 35mm camera nicknamed the Pogo Cam. Weighing 18 pounds, it was equipped with a gyro stabilizer, which was borrowed from a larger Steadicam. A wire loop on top of the camera gave the operator a rough idea of what was in frame as he followed the actors through a neighborhood at breakneck speed. Coincidentally, in this scene, Swayze is not the one wearing the Reagan mask. His stunt devil performed the scene because Swayze was in Europe doing press for Ghost. Point Break was Catherine Bigelow's highest-grossing film until Zero Dark Thirty in 2012. 20th Century Fox had made plans for a sequel to the film to be released in the summer of 1993. In fact, a script had been written and was in pre-production. Despite the film grossing $90 million worldwide, the studio decided to scrap the project. A remake of the original was released in 2015. The film also inspired the cult theater production Point Break Live in which the role of Johnny Utah is played by an audience member. The new Keanu reads all of his or her lines from cue cards for the whole duration of the show to capture the rawness of a Keanu Reeves performance. While it didn't win any industry awards, both Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze were nominated for Most Desirable Male in the 1992 MTV Movie Awards. Today, Reeves said that of all of his films, Point Break is the one that people talk to him about the most, saying, People tell me that Point Break made them want to surf or skydive. They say that the film changed their lives, and it changed mine too. And finally, the song Nobody Rides for Free by Rat was recorded especially for the film's soundtrack. It does not appear on any of the band's studio albums, but it is included on the band's greatest hit album, Rat and Roll 81 to 91. The song was the final single released by the band in its classic lineup form. Thanks for listening to Side Talks. We are your own personal cinematic Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely want to You're definitely a Harrison Ford type. Yeah, Han shot first. Uh, and I only wanted to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. Oh boy! You get it? It's a, I, it's a line. I'm from pausing. Star Wars. I'm pausing for all the laughter. All right. Thank you for listening to Side Talks, and thank you to Batwall Studios. 
thank you to you, the listener. I said thank you before I re- remembered what my line there is. Um, check us out on social media at Sidewalk Film on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And SidewalkFest.com is the website where you can see all of the uh, cinema showtimes. Thank you for checking those out. Just thank you for everything. Thank you for everything. And thanks to Splash 96. And we'll see you soon. Or, I mean, you're not going to see us, but you know what I mean. Bye. Bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.